And a hearty welcome to one and all. Welcome to episode 23 of the Confessions of a Not-So-Dangerous Mind podcast. I want to thank you once again for joining me, whether you're on Spotify, iTunes, or the other audio platforms, or if you're joining me on my YouTube channel. If you enjoy the content, please don't forget to click link and smash the subscriber bell. So one thing I enjoy doing on this podcast is shining light on often movies that may be uh, slightly below the radar relative to other films we're all familiar with. Like if I say uh, Shawshank Redemption, almost everybody who is a movie fan is at least familiar with it. And in many cases, at least I found this, it's one of your favorite films. Certain movies that are big films, let's say maybe a lot of Oscar nominations that it's easy to find on streaming, or, or all of those things. Uh, and I'm confident that there are people, oh, they're definitely gonna know this. But then there are other movies that may even have big names in the cast, and maybe they were produced and or directed by a famous filmmaker that you might say, hmm, I don't know if I've seen that movie, or I've definitely never seen that movie. What's it about? So today is the 36th anniversary of the United States release of Steven Spielberg's, in my opinion, classic, uh, his most under-the-radar masterpiece, Empire of the Sun, which is an adaptation of a novel by an author by the name of J.G. Ballard, uh, sort of an autobiographical memoir, if you will, uh, of his experiences, more or less during World War II. And this was a film that was personal to Spielberg. He was, I believe, 39 going on 40 when he agreed to uh, direct it. And there was something about the young boy, uh, the main character of Jamie Graham or Jim, that spoke to him. It wasn't just that he liked the book. There was clearly something personal or, as I say, again, I think already unbelievably successful, but still a very young man of Steven Spielberg. And the main character of Jamie Graham is played by Christian Bale. And I have said in other areas and on other spaces, other forms of social media, that it is the greatest performance ever given by a child actor in a motion picture. So, for example, if you're not familiar with this film and you know Christian Bale from some of his later work, whether you loved, as I did, Ford versus Ferrari, uh, if you've loved the physical transformations he's made for movies like The Machinist and um, the film where he played the former Vice President Dick Cheney and uh, Batman, where he kind of went from being very, very lean for The Machinist and put a ton of weight back on it, still looked great for Batman Begins. But if you ever wondered and didn't, it didn't hit you enough where you felt that you had to Google, like how did Christian Bale become a big deal in the first place? And the answer is... Steven Spielberg's Empire of the Sun, which was a film that if you go on Rotten Tomatoes, the reviews are good, it's a good score, and you say, oh, we've got six Oscar nominations. That's impressive, and it is. But, you know, the 1980s era Spielberg, he got 11 Oscar nominations, I believe it was 11, for The Color Purple, which was, I believe was his previous film as director before Empire of the Sun. That was a 1985 film didn't win any. And 
So the fact that Empire of the Sun was nominated for six, including, I should point out, John Williams' breathtaking musical score. And, you know, John Williams is such a genius, greatest living composer. I'm going to go on record and say that. Certainly top three or four greatest composers of film music who ever lived. You know, you throw Bernard Herrmann up there, Jerry Goldsmith, both gone, Van Gallis, gone. Uh, it's almost obvious to say, well, John Williams, incredible musical score. Like James Horner, another guy, almost every score you say, wow, fucking amazing. Uh, but it, it is one of John Williams' best musical scores. It's the kind of music, the one track, Cadillac of the Skies, is, it's spectacular. And we know Williams from Star Wars, Harry Potter, Home Alone, Superman movies, the OGs with Christopher Reeve. Empire of the Sun has some of that man's best work. Um, so the film, as I say, got, got pretty good reviews and was appreciated in its day. But when you take into account the career of Spielberg, which is stupendous, one of the great careers that anyone has ever had in Hollywood, uh, it is a film that's normally not mentioned when we, if you ask a, a, a film buff or somebody that uh, you know is a Spielberg fan, and you say, hey, you know, uh, Max or Netflix, they're running like a Spielberg retrospective this month, and I see Jaws is on there, but what are some other movies? This is a film that I would always recommend that maybe you don't know that well. And um, I didn't see it until I was already in my 20s. And that's, I mean, I was at a film school before I saw this movie. That's kind of inexcusable uh, because I considered myself a Spielberg fan. I watched the OG Indiana Jones trilogy repeatedly. I've seen Jaws numerous times. E.T. I saw in theaters and watched it numerous times. I mean, even a film like Always, which by Spielberg standards is kind of a lesser film. It's okay. It's not great. Yeah, Audrey Hepburn's final film appearance. He had to bribe her to get her in there. Uh, I saw Hook a number of times. Jurassic Park, a lot. Schindler's List, three times. So I was watching Spielberg films again and again. I just never saw Empire of the Sun. I hate to say it, one of the reasons, Roger Ebert, my favorite film critic, may he rest in peace, the great Pulitzer Prize winning Roger Ebert, who was many other film critics of his era were jealous because he won a Pulitzer for criticism. He spoke like a normal person. He wasn't an academic like John Simon looking down on us all. He wasn't a Grinch like Pauline Kael. He could be funny when he didn't like a film. He could be fucking hilarious. You know, he famously once talked about um, <laughs> Tom Green's movie from 20 years ago, Freddy Got Fingered. And so I, somebody asked him, is this movie the bottom of the barrel? And Roger Ebert said, this isn't the bottom of the barrel. To even call this, the, this is so far beneath the bottom of the barrel that it's an insult to barrels to even say it in the same sentence. So like that, Ebert could have that slicing, cutting wit. But in general, he was a guy who wanted people to like film. And he didn't really like Empire of the Sun. He gave it two and a half stars out of four. And that's kind of why I didn't go out of my way to see the film in the days before streaming, or you know, you would have to go to a video store, rent a VHS, or just see, hey, I get Showtime and I get HBO and the movie channel is the movie on this month. And sometimes you would kind of get lucky. And my first experience seeing Empire of the Sun was a random afternoon probably sometime in the middle to late 1990s, maybe even later. And it's, it's a long movie, two and a half hours. 
and I watched it in one shot, and I was floored. I couldn't believe that I had waited so long to see this film. I was just like, I, I don't understand. What, what movie did Ebert watch? Then again, Ebert did not unabashedly love Full Metal Jacket, which I think is an out-and-out -out masterpiece. So as much as I agreed with Roger more than the other leading critics, as I say, Simon, Pauline Kael, David Denby, another great film critic, I agreed with Ebert to a far higher percentage. And I, I, I know I shouldn't trust one person to decide whether I see the movie, but as a film student, I believe in the art of criticism. And I did take it to art. So it just meant in the day, I didn't go out of my way to see it for many years after it was released. And, you know, I'm, I'm glad that I eventually found it and, and became a fan. So the basic story and why I think it connected and resonated with me um, is about a, a boy who is British by birth, but lives in Asia. He lives in an area of Asia that is at the start or I believe it's near the start of World War II, is quickly overrun by Japanese forces. And without going into any real spoiler-heavy stuff, he ends up spending a huge percentage of the war uh, in an internment camp run by essentially the Japanese military. And he kind of falls under the wing of a sort of con artist played by John Malkovich, and you know, Malkovich, uh, it was just his 70th birthday the other day, is famous for being a kind of eccentric and quirky performer in a lot of different movies, including this one. Although I would argue that it's not, this is not really that kind of character, and it's not that kind of performance. This is a straightforward Malkovich performance, where this guy is an angler. You know, in poker they call it angle shooting. This guy is an angle shooter. Whatever he can do to get an edge, especially if he's in a situation in life that is a negative one, he will work and strive and connive to get what he can from everybody in his circle and beyond. It's a magnificent, to me, performance by Malkovich. His second best performance behind Mitch Leary in, in The Line of Fire, which he was robbed of the Oscar. Sorry, Tommy Lee Jones, I love you. You were fantastic in The Fugitive. You're no, you were not Malkovich. Malkovich in the line of fire is just one of the all-time great villain performances. So Christian Bale, age 12, when filming began, is in almost every scene in Empire of the Sun. And he's so good. Goes through a shit ton of costume changes as his character's station in life shifts radically throughout the course of the film. And so many of the great filmmakers and I'm putting Spielberg in that list, and not just because he has such a, an impressive roster of great films, but I believe he is one of the most talented people to ever work in the film business. You know, he didn't accidentally luck into his profession. This is a man who was born to do this for a living. As the movie The Fablemans, without kind of banging you over the head, it very strongly implies he's different. This kid is different. Spielberg is different. And so, for example, if you look at Martin Scorsese's filmography, there are repeating themes of Catholic guilt and people having difficulty connecting with society and people being bound by certain societal standards. It runs throughout Scorsese's work. If you look at the work of Stanley Kubrick, 
you see themes of dehumanization. You see themes of ro uh, robotics and automation encroaching upon humanity. They're all throughout the work of Stanley Cooper, whether it's Full Metal Jacket, whether it's A Clockwork Orange, whether it's 2001 A Space Odyssey. What are you doing, Dave? Hal? Right. In Spielberg, there is a persistent thread, especially in his earlier work, of the family unit breaking down for one reason or another. Either it's that the parents are not getting along and the child feels isolated, or it's just a boy who doesn't have parents feels isolated, or a boy searching for his parents, literally, metaphorically, symbolically. And Empire of the Sun ultimately is about a boy going through absolute hell for a long period of time. He just wants to see his parents again. And I didn't experience that exactly. But there's something about this scrappy, driven, highly motivated boy, who is still a boy at the end of the story, but his experiences have altered him, altered his personality massively, as of course they did. And Jim, Jim Graham, Jamie Graham, at the end of the film is nothing like the character we met, who is spoiled, has a lousy attitude, doesn't listen to authority, pretty much just does his own thing as much as he can. And at the end, um, there's a look in his eyes towards the end of the film, which I don't know how the young Christian Bale achieved this. I don't know what, how Spielberg or how he got this out of him. You know, what they used to say about Spielberg, going back to movies like E.T., and even in Jaws, he gets a terrific performance out of the, the, the youngest member of the cast in Jaws, the smallest son. They always said Spielberg, because he was a child at heart, was able to elicit strong performances, I guess by coming across as an honorary kid and still, again, in his 30s and into his early 40s, having that kind of childlike curiosity. You look at Drew Barrymore in E.T., Henry Thomas, they, were, they registered so strongly, not an accident. And so Spielberg managed to get some reactions and some moments, whether it's the body language, that are incredible. And when I think of the film, I mean, I think of Ben Stiller, age 21, in a small role. There's stuff like that. Uh, Joe Pantoliano, in the early stages of the film, and, you know, throughout the film, uh, is an associate of Malkovich's character. I think about those people in the role. I think about Christian Bale constantly saying the phrase, I surrender. And as a movie fan, knowing that that's going to pay off, there's a certain comfort when you, when something is repeated, you know, we, we call it like planting and payoff or setups for payoffs. There's a, a kind of a, it's a funny in a, in, a, in a bad way that early in the film as the Japanese march on, they march on where Christian Bale's family lives. Uh, he starts, he realizes he has no food and he starts basically screaming, I surrender, I surrender. And when he gets to deliver that line late in the movie, it's a, a crucial, pivotal moment where something happens that we're not expecting. And this is a movie of a lot of surprises, most of them not good surprises. But the film just keeps unraveling 
And then you know he's going to say it again. And when he does, it really hits. And also, non-spoiler, there's a moment towards the very end of the film where we have a callback to, and Christian Bale's character uh, is a, a boy who sings in a, in a choir, a, a local choir to where you know, his parents live. And as we say, they're, I don't know if they were called British ex, expatriates, expats, or whether they're just British citizens living in Asia. Um, but there's a song, a beautiful song. I think it's called Suo God. But there's a beautiful song that his character takes part in early. And the moment at the end of the film, near the end of the film, where we hear that song again at a critical juncture, perhaps the most critical juncture, it is overwhelming in its impact. It is sledgehammer from an emotional perspective. And there aren't that many movies, not that I, I don't tear up or that I can't really get emotional. Just during a normal watching of a film, it could be a Tuesday morning. But there's something about that moment. Christian Bale's character, the fact that he's, he's still a young, very young person, and his eyes are just completely dead. He just, it, it feels that every bit of life has been sucked out of him, his experiences. And there is a moment of recognition. It is an extraordinary piece of film acting. And it's not just the moment. Yes, it's the moment, it's the song. But it's the reaction of Bale, just a child actor, just nailing it, nailing it. And who knows how many takes, but he hits it. He hit his, hits his marks. And it is one of my favorite moments in any film that I've ever seen. And um, when you think of Christian Bale, where, yes, he's had the, you know, the, the weight gain and weight loss and all of that, but I've often joked that if you really want to kind of mess with somebody, you have them watch Batman Begins, Empire of the Sun, and American Psycho, back to back to back. And whatever order you think would be, you know, the most um, shocking. And I don't know what the answer is to that, but I do know that if you watch Empire of the Sun and jump into American Psycho, which is about a dozen years later, holy crap, what the fuck? Because you know it's the same guy. Yeah, he's older, but that little boy, that scrappy little kid is now joking when somebody asks what line of work he's in, instead of saying mergers and acquisitions, he goes, Murders and executions. And then Batman begins as that era of Bruce Wayne, the three movies, the, you know, the Nolan trilogy, where he is Cape Crusader. He's a crime fighter. He's the good guy. It is all a way to see just how much range Christian Bale has, how, how talented of a performer he is from the thespian perspective, but also the chameleon aspect, the chameleon-like ability that he has had to change his appearance so radically. Rescue Dawn, another terrific movie where he went through a kind of a grueling uh, schedule to take off weight. And I believe that was after Batman Begins. So he had the weight loss horrendous for the machinist. Uh, and when I say horrendous, um, you know, Bale is a substantial guy. When you see him normally, whether it's in public or in, in typical film, he is a very athletic looking individual. He lost so much weight for the machinist. And, you know, and the joke was he didn't have that much weight to lose. Dennis Quaid in Wyatt Earp, a movie that's now almost 30 years old, that's the other Wyatt Earp movie, not Tombstone with, you know, Val Kilmer just, just 
destroying it as, as Doc Holliday. But Dennis Quaid dropped somewhere between 30 and 40 pounds to play Doc Holliday in the Lawrence Kasdan, Kevin Costner, Wyatt Earp, which went into production as Tombstone, I believe, was rapping. And Dennis Quaid didn't have that kind of weight to lose. He already was in great shape. You know, that, that's one of those actors always known for his physique. Man, Dennis Quaid was sliced. And so he, he went from a position of already being in incredible shape and then lost 30 to 40. Christian Bale did something similar because if you see him, and Batman Begins is not about his body, but you can tell from the tautness of the face that he's, in, he's really fit. He's in great shape. So he came back from The Machinist where right now, if you don't know the movie, Google picks Christian Bale, The Machinist. You will not believe what he looks like. There is no CGI. There is no prosthetic of any kind being used. He got that thin. I believe he said he was eating a can of tuna and an apple. And I don't think it was even, maybe if it was medically supervised, he still lost a ton of weight. You know, I don't know about the medical supervision, but he put the weight back on before Batman begins. Looked tremendous, very fit. You know, again, it's not about his body, but he looked great. Uh, and Reign of Fire, another movie that was 2002, I believe. So before uh, Rescue Dawn, before The Machinist, before Batman Begins. That was a film he made with McConaughey. Um, he looks fantastic. So he lost a shit ton of weight for The Machinist in 2004, put it back on for Batman Begins, and dropped weight, not as much as for The Machinist, but he definitely is, is smaller and, and weaker in, in Rescue Dawn. And, you know, I, as I say, as a huge fan of Christian Bale, we're almost the same name. I hope that he does not do anything like that again. Uh, even for American Hustle, he put on a lot of weight. Uh, and the joke was, and that's a film that's now about 10 years old, uh, Robert De Niro's appearance in that film was a big secret. From what I read, I don't actually know that, but I read that it was a big secret. And De Niro's first day on the set, when he, um, you know, he came on and some people had knew him, worked with him before, and then there were a lot of people who were kind of in awe because, oh my God, Jake LaMotta, Travis Bickle, Jimmy Conway, Rupert Pupkin, whatever movie, you know, you identified with him from. Don Corleone, The Godfather 2. So De Niro was, was carefully making his way around the set on the first day. And he saw a guy who was sitting in a chair that, you know, was like set up for the actress. Like you had a Bradley Cooper chair and Jennifer Lawrence. And De Niro sees a guy with a beard and does not want to embarrass himself, but he doesn't have any idea who it is. He, it's got to be somebody, though, because he's sitting in, like, the chair next to Bradley Cooper's chair. So it's not a stagehand. It's not a random guy. But he's, he says, well, he's, he's in period garb. So it must be an actor. He has no idea who it is. And he's presumably, De Niro is racking his brain, trying to calculate. I don't understand this. So he walks over to this, this bearded gentleman who looks, oh, he looks like he's in his 30s. Maybe he's 40. And... Um, De Niro sticks out a paw and says, I'm really sorry, I don't recognize you, uh, I'm Bobby. And whatever the name of the character, you know. And Christian Bale had forgotten that he presumably, in that moment, when he saw De Niro coming over, he got excited. And so he, he kind of <laughs> laughed and he said, Bobby, it's me, it's Christian. We've known each other for how many years? And De Niro, holy shit, you know, he had like a big reaction. Just the weight gain, and the beard, and he was wearing these weird sunglasses, the hair, and he had a little bit of a gut. 
De Niro did not recognize somebody that he, under normal circumstances, hey, Chris, you know, like that kind of thing. So, but that's, that's the kind of, it's not just talent. It is that Bell also has one of those faces that he can, he can kind of transform hair, makeup, and weight. And also his ability to stay in character. There's something they hear a lot. Oh, he stays in character. Christian Bale can do that. And I don't really like the movie American Hustle, but he's great in the movie. And one of his best performances, which I'm pretty sure he won an Oscar, was as the brother in the movie The Fighter with Mark Wahlberg. Um, you know, that famous trilogy. Uh, what's his name? Mickey Ward. Man, I can't believe I, I, I was going to say Arturo Gatti. Arturo Gatti was the guy that Mickey Ward famously fought that unbelievable 30 rounds, you know, of over three fights. Um, but so Bell is very well respected in Hollywood, and I've never seen him take a movie off. I didn't really like um, the last Thor film where Bell played uh, Gore the God Butcher, but even in a film like that, which is just a tribe, um, you can see him giving it everything he has. You know, in Ford versus Ferrari, I love Matt Damon, but Ford versus Ferrari, a, a film which is very popular, is 2019. Bale's performance is just amazing. He's so good as Ken Miles. He really crushes it. Um, but as far as kind of wrapping up Empire of the Sun, and when it comes to somebody like Christian Bale, of course I stray to different topics because he's had such a varied career, 36 years since Empire of the Sun. But for those who are interested, because it is a movie that is available on streaming, um, from what I was reading, you can rent it from Amazon Prime and Apple for, you know, $2. Uh, it is streaming free on the Pluto app. The problem with Pluto is you just get blasted with ads. And, you know, there are certain apps like Tubi where there are ads but not that many. And then there are, like, subscription tiers for different services where if you pay this, we'll show you literally two minutes of ads before the movie and then no more ads the rest of the movie. I don't think that Pluto has a subscription tier. If it does take it, it's probably only a couple of bucks a month. But Empire of the Sun is streaming free on Pluto if you just say, you know what, I can deal with commercial, fine. Uh, it is one of those movies that is a special film to me. It is, as I said earlier, uh, I consider it Steven Spielberg's somewhat forgotten masterpiece. It's a beautiful film. The shot making is impeccable. The acting is great. and um, yeah, John Williams' musical score is stupendous, and I highly recommend it. And as I've said before in this space, if you're, if you're familiar with the film and you disagree with me, light me up in the comments. You know, go to the YouTube, light me up, I don't care. But if you haven't seen it and you're curious and then see it, same thing. You know, it's all good. Part of the fun, a big part of the fun of movies is talking about it, is debating it. For example, I, I did a podcast the other day on Leave the World Behind. That is an incredibly polarizing film. It doesn't seem to me like it would be polarizing, but there are people saying it's horrible all the way through. When it premiered in Europe, there were leading critics giving it one star out of four. I don't know what the fuck movie they saw. The movie I saw was a near masterpiece, but that's, that's what makes a horse race. And I welcome it. Certainly I enjoy, in a positive sense, talking about movies that we all love. You know, very few people are going to say, ah, Shawshank Redemption is awful. But there are some who don't like Pulp Fiction, for example, 
or me where I respect Goodfellas, but it's not one of my favorites. I don't enjoy seeing it. Raging Bull, another source says the same thing. So whatever it is, you like it, you hate it, you're indifferent, it bored you to tears. Jerry, I only made it through the first half hour. I don't know what movie you watch, but Empire of the Sons is a piece of crap, LOL. It's all good. Comment, like, it's okay. I don't care. Just as long as you were engaged by it, like the old Andy Kaufman, just want people to have a reaction. Whether they like it, whether they hate it, at least they felt something. At least it was an experience. So that brings episode 23 of the Confessions of a Not-So-Dangerous Mind podcast to a close. I want to thank you all again very much for joining me on this Monday late afternoon, early evening. If you're joining me for my YouTube version of the podcast, don't forget to click like and smash that subscribe bell if and only if you enjoy the content. And I seriously and sincerely hope that you have. Or if you're joining me for the audio version of the podcast on Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, or Amazon Music. I'll be back with episode 24 very soon. Take care.